Hey, welcome to the Michelle Mission, two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble. And as always, I am joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are bringing you another entry in our celebration of Black Music Month. And today we are bringing you a remake. It's a remake of a 1976 I don't know if you could call it a classic film, but it certainly Mm. is a cult classic in black households of the 80s and 90s. And but was it a remake begging to be made? We Mm. shall see as we review Vince's selection this evening, 2012's Sparkle, starring Jordan Sparks, Carmen Ijogo, Tika Sumter, Derek Luke, Mike Epps and in her final performance, Whitney Houston. But before we do that, as always, we like to thank each and every one of you who are out there watching us live on YouTube and Facebook. Shout out to um, each and every one of you. Thank you. We appreciate you. You can always leave us a comment in the chat to let us know that you are watching we invite everyone if you are watching us on facebook if you can go to facebook.com slash stream give them permission we'll be able to see your name as it pops up in our our comment stream just like the names of aaron fry and deborah battle are popping up hello hey aaron hey aaron hey deborah Thank you for for watching us here on live as we are streaming for you. And as always, we like to thank everyone who participates in our Show Mission Facebook group and likes and follows us on all these social medias. And those who are, we are lucky enough, who go over to Apple Podcasts. And guess what, Vince? They give us reviews. Yay! We got a review from Mama Wellick. Hey, Mama Wellick. Who says, can I go to the movies with these guys? Yes! <laughs> Exclamation point. We also Men's got... going to get pretzel bites and dip them in cheese, though, so just be ready for that strangeness. That's not strangeness. I guarantee Mama Wellick is going to reach over and can I have some of your pretzel bites? And I'm going to say, of course, Mama, please do. Mmm. Anyway, we also got a review from Lane1248. Hey, Lane1248. Gave us a five-star review saying, super fun. I love the dynamic between the hosts and the fun way they break down films. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Very much appreciated. And we got a review from Ta Has Spoken. Five-star review. A podcast for all types of moviegoers. Oh, thank you, Ta. You have spoken. Well, not quite. Now she has spoken or Ta has spoken thusly. I have been listening to your podcast for a few months now. And let me say how much joy I have found in it. I appreciate the level of respect to give to good movies and bad not playing favorites. I will suggest all newcomers to listen to the acrimony episode to... (laughs) We're going to have to start sending Tyler Perry some uh, <laughs> some cupcakes or something. <laughs> I would suggest all newcomers listen to the Acrimony episode to <laughs> feel the passion you have for movies and to get a deep belly laugh. 
your your you reference Daughters of the Dust so much. I am currently watching it now. You oh, wrote, that's good stuff. Any, yeah, yes, anybody sir. we can turn on to that film, you know, the more I was the about to say. You reminded me why I love certain movies, validated why I thought certain movies were bad, and I could put my finger on why, and made me hold strong to the movies I love, and you didn't, under the cherry moon, even if for mm. nostalgia's sake. Keep up the excellent work. Now, Ta has spoken. Oh, look Oh, look at Vince's shirt. Hold on, hold on, Vince. <laughs> Look at that shirt. Recca crew. It's a Recca crew, right? No, Recca no, Stu. Recca Stowe. Recca Stowe. It's Recca Stowe. It's Recca Stowe. <laughs> if you want a Sam Cooke album, where would you go? <laughs> Recca Stowe. We didn't even plan that. We didn't even plan that. <laughs> oh, my God. Where did you get that shirt, Vince? <laughs> Never mind. I don't even want to know. That's that's you that's know, just yours. That's an original. It is. It is embarrassing how many T-shirts that I've bought during the coronavirus. <laughs> and then you know you get in the algorithm and they just start sending you stuff. Hey, don't you want to buy this? <laughs> and of course you say, hmm. Yeah, sure. I think I do. <laughs> I think I do. $23 t-shirt, you're calling my name again. Oh my goodness. Do is there some is there some criteria to your t-shirt collecting events? Or is it just the, the more obscure the better? The more obscure the better, of course. Okay. Lynn, I can't see your face. It's weird. What do you mean you can't see my face? Because you 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 pulled me up. So I guess Oh, I sure did. Shirt, I forgot I but forgot. Now I, I don't have the split screen. So I, I felt like a crazy person. I forgot that I did that. I got so used to it. So then to I told him, I like my oatmeal and I like it a little lumpy with some raisins. Is that what you said? That's exactly what I said. So, yeah, don't do that. That was weird. I got so used to looking at your face. I just forgot that. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's supposed just, to be two of us. Here. It's supposed to be two of us, right. But they all tune in for your face anyway. So that's all that right. matters. Right. Oh, oh, of course. Yes. That's all that matters, Vince. So I'm, I'm giving the people what they want. Okay? Right, right, right. Um, we always reference that people in our Facebook group have a lot of time sending us uh, talking about things and sending us information on, on what's happening in the world of movies and television. Did you see this, Vince, where someone posted the trailer for the new Independent Lens uh, special that aired this past Monday on PBS recorder the Marion Stokes project I did I did we were talking before we start taping I I forgot that it was on the other night and I turned to it it was halfway through and the 15 minutes that I saw I immediately turned you know how you can do the DVR and say upcoming shows mm -hmm. like I immediately went to tape it because I said oh I need to see this from the very beginning because it looked absolutely fascinating a fiercely intelligent radical activist who became a fabulously wealthy recluse in her later years marion stokes was dedicated to furthering and protecting the truth so much so that she recorded american television 24 hours a day for over 30 years 
Long before the term fake news entered the national conversation, the Philadelphia-based Stokes recognized the shifting nature of the media and the importance of protecting the truth. Working in television in the late 60s, she believed in the power of the medium to inform or misinform the public. So therefore, she determined that a comprehensive archive of national media would one day be invaluable and began recording television broadcasts in 1979, starting with news broadcasts of the Iranian hostage crisis at the dawn of the 24-hour news cycle and continuing until her death in 2012. Oh, my God. Filmmakers Matt um, Wolf um, com- helped compile over 70,000 videotapes that captured revolutions, lies, wars, triumphs, catastrophes, bloopers, talk shows, and commercials. Stokes' visionary and maddening project nearly tore her family apart. This is a special recorder, the Marion Stokes Project, which premiered on PBS Independent Lens um, this past Monday, June 15, you can check your local listings for where, it, for when it will be rebroadcast in your area. I missed it, but this is definitely, definitely must see television for me. Yeah, yeah, and it's right. Yeah, I was about to say it's right up our alley. Right. It's right. Like like this this examination of the media. This. I, I mean, I guess it's not found. Guess it's not a uh, found footage. No, but no. but just her documenting of it. It it it's the ten minutes I saw were electric. Wow, man. Wow. Yeah, I can't imagine if I was recording tele- television twenty four hours a day for the past thirty years, there would be nothing but a a binge of uh, Looney Tunes cartoons, the Justice League uh, Unlimited series, Saint Elsewhere, and The Wire. That's about it. Maybe well, it, interspersed with a little bit of, um, oh, I don't know, Seinfeld and Living Single. Well, you know, I, I think just um, just the practice of taping something that long, mm-hmm. you never know the patterns that are going to emerge. Right. That's true. You, you know, I think it's relevant in, you know, in the current political climate. I, I saw someone, uh, you know, on like Instagram or something, did a project where they just depicted Lego policemen over the past 30 years. Mm, like what, La- what the, you, you know, the, what, you know, because they had Legos when we were kids and you would get like the community and it just showed how policemen and depictions of policemen had changed over the years just through looking at the legos just by looking at the lego men wow that's interesting and it is fascinating what you see in the most sort of innocuous kind of sources like you would never think about it hmm and 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 you know like i said i watched like 10 minutes of this documentary and the 10 minutes she was talking about that. She was basically talking about the patterns that emerge. Okay. And the sort of secret language of the media. And and it was it was it was it was fascinating. So so yeah, I highly recommend it. I recommend it as well. We also recommend ladies and gentlemen, there was a the Hollywood Reporter 
put out a critics list, a critics pick, 10 great underseen films about black America, from docs to literary heroes in the L.A. riots to a romantic two-hander that launched an auspicious career. A quietly groundbreaking 1964 indie to a rollicking biopic, here are 10 terrific and timely movies about black people in America that deserve more attention. Um, this this listing, which you can find on our Facebook group, The Michelle Mission, uh, it, it has a, a couple of interesting documentaries. There was a documentary from 2009, actually an HBO documentary, The Apollo done by Richard Ross Williams, which chronicles the history of the iconic Black America, Black American music venue, the Apollo Theater in Harlem, featuring the usual roundup of talking heads um, with an impressive amount of archival footage that it's practically a concert film showcasing many of the notable Black entertainers of the last century. Um, that was that sounds good. I, I seem to remember when that premiered on HBO. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember it was out and I missed it. What year did you say that was? Twenty nineteen, just last year. Yeah, I don't know how that slipped through, but yeah, that does sound good. That sounds good. Um, there's Brother to Brother, which is actually available from two thousand four, which is actually available on Amazon Prime. Director Robert Evans Sundance um, Prize winning debut marks moves back and forth in time between New York City in the early aughts and the heyday of the Harlem Renaissance. That sounds oh, okay. Nice. That sounds interesting. Anthony hmm. Mackie stars in it as a young gay artist who is kicked out of the house by his family and ends up exploring his identity under the guidance of an elder played by Roger Robinson. That sounds pretty okay. cool. That yeah, sounds, excellent. That sounds good. Um there's a few, uh, there's quite a few picks on here. Some of them that we've actually covered, um, films that we've reviewed. Um, Barry Jenkins' feature debut, "Medicine for Melancholy," was an mm-hmm. early reviewer. You know that's our jam. That you is, know we were, we were Barry Jenkins fans early and often. That's right. Um, the early. very slept on "Nothing But a Man." Um, yeah, absolutely, with Ivan Dixon, um, which we heralded as a movie that was. Deeply slept on and movie people should return to is on yeah. this list as well. Absolutely. Uh, as well as um, the 2007 biopic Talk to Me by Cassie Lemons and featuring yeah. uh, Don Cheadle in the role of Petey Green. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were big fans of that too. Yeah, so there's a few films on on this listing. Uh, you can check it out the, uh, from the Hollywood Reporter, ladies and gentlemen. Ten underseen films about a Black America. So check out that listing. Uh, it is worth checking out, and all of those films are worthy to check out. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, speaking of films worthy to check out, Vince, did you have an opportunity to watch? Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. I did not. I did not. I was telling you the the weekend I looked up and the weekend got away from me, which is so, it, you know, it's so surreal. It's like we started with you're kind of stuck in the house and we're all sheltering in place and and somehow just adapting. I looked up and I'm busy again. Right. Yeah. That's how it happens, you know, man. The funny thing is it's a lot of stuff. I'm busy in this room, 
What you, or like recataloging your comic books? No, no, just you know, doing working, you know, distance work and and oh, I got you. and I got you. and you know, doctor's appointments and 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 talking to students and but but it's it's like you look up and you're busy, but you physically haven't moved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's the weirdest thing. That's like we needed true. gas. We needed gas a couple of days ago, and it was weird getting gas. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah, it was like, wow, I don't know the last time we needed gas. Because oh, okay. you've just been sitting here, you know? You just sit here. That's true. The world is open. But somehow you're busy. That's very true. So, well, the but five no, I did not get a chance. The Five Bloods uh, debuted this past Friday on Netflix. Uh, it's Spike Lee's film um, that is garnering a fair amount of attention and um, it looks like, for the most part, that I've seen relatively good reviews um, everywhere that I, everywhere that I that I've read about the film. Anyway, uh, Anthony Sterling, uh, Sterling, excuse me, Anthony Sterling checked out the film. It says, "Good morning, fellow missionaries. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Delroy Lindo was amazing. The cinematography was great, which is nothing new for a Spike Lee joint. The story, right. while it has its run-of-the-mill tropes, was good and never had any dead or dry moments. The characters, I felt, were fleshed out nicely. And even though the film is over two and a half hours long, it doesn't drag at all. I actually recommend you check it, check it out. Spike did a great job. So he's very he, nice. Very nice. Well, that's good to know. It is certainly on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually did watch the film um, and I am holding on to my review until you, Vince, get a chance to check it out so that we can kind of like, you know, cross reference exactly how we both feel about the film. So I'll be okay. looking forward to when that day comes. All right. Okay. Just, All right. just as you, Vince. I understand, are looking forward to the time when I can say that, yes, Vince, I have watched the 20-minute comedic screed that uh, one Dave Chappelle unleashed onto YouTube in the past few days in regards to um, the ongoing protest and the killing of George Floyd. Yeah, yeah, 846. 846 is what it's called, which is, of course, a reference to the time that the police officer, you know, need George Floyd. It is it's 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 remarkable. Really? Like, like it's definitely remarkable. I think I'll wait till you see it. There there are a couple of things about it that kind of made me go, eh, you, you know, like Dave, Dave Chappelle has shown that he has some blind spots. Mm hmm. And and a couple of those blind spots peek out, but it's it's a remarkable, remarkable piece of art. And I suspect that when we look back at this moment, this is going to be one of the cultural artifacts that we speak of. Just speaking about Dave Spot and Dave Chappelle in, in general and his blind spots that you reference, right? Yes. As a comedian, right. Do you feel, and not saying that you're a comedian, but considering that Dave Chappelle is a comedian, do you feel that he suffers from blind spots 
or does he sometimes get up on that stage and knowingly push buttons? Is he acting in the way of a provocateur sometimes? No, no. I think there. I think it's actually blind spots. I think you know. Unfortunately, there are. You know, you don't want to say most. Like you always have to watch a word like most. Right. But I do think that there are many, frankly, black men in our age group that we have. A, you know, we we have this blind spot with sexism. We have this blind mm. spot. With trans rights, we have this blind blind spot with with you know um, just gender, just other rights. Like unless gotcha. It, gotcha. you are male and you are straight, we just have a blind spot. You know, we we just don't really know how to address gay people. All mm. of that, mm. and I think I, I think you you know the the my the the two key points that kind of made me go eh, with Dave like. He, you know, he goes through this kind of timeline of these issues and he talks about a series of victims and, and, you know, he's establishing that this is, this, this is a continuum. Like this isn't, this didn't begin because of George Floyd. Right. And he doesn't mention any women. Okay. Like, like how do you not mention Breonna Taylor? Right. When you when you're talking about all this and then, you know, there's this moment where he talks about Candace Owens that kind of, you, you know, I thought it was unnecessary. Like it's so many reasons or so many ways you can address Candace Owens mm-hmm. like like she's a fraud, like she's a complete fraud. Like she doesn't believe anything that she says whatsoever. And she's just not that intellectually dense or nuanced. Right. Like, like she doesn't come across as particularly intelligent. She just sort of parrots the the kind of conservative talking points that everyone, you know, everyone in that kind of slush bucket says. Right. But because right. she's a black woman, people people kind of listen to her. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like you know, I don't know, like like Juan Williams or or or, or Shelby Steele or or like Condoleezza Rice. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there are some black conservatives that, you know, I don't agree with. Like, I don't agree with them. Right. But they are thoughtful and 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 and, and sort of they, they're true believers and you have to respect them for their stance. And then it's it's kind of that, that post Sarah Palin circus. Right. And right. sideshow where they're all just trying to get on Fox and be a commentator and make money. And Candace Owens is very much in that tradition. Right. Yeah, I agree. But you can talk about that without calling her out her name. That's true. And that. saying, you know, you know, saying this real kind of sexist, misogynistic stuff like you can actually critique her intellect and her comedically. And, and, comedically. Yeah, right. absolutely. Right. Without doing especially when it's part of a pattern. Mm hmm. So but. Regardless, flawed or not, it's it's amazingly powerful. Okay, all right. Like it's amazingly powerful, and and like like I said, I think it's like twenty six, twenty seven minutes. I think. Okay. There are ten minutes where I don't know if I breathed. Like wow. the first ten minutes are are I I, I don't even know how to describe it. Wow. Now, for the record, you're talking about him as a comedian. 
It's not funny at all. Okay. Like, there's okay. nothing funny about 846. Okay. So this is not him so, up on a stage, is it? I haven't seen it. Well, so. he is on... The funny thing is he is on a stage. Okay. You know, they've kind of got a socially distanced club situation going on. Okay. but And, and he kind of references that, that, you know, people have kind of started back and, you know, apparently there were some shows at a drive-in and people kind of honked mm-hmm. if they thought something was funny. He said that doesn't really work for me. I got you. But he's definitely on a stage. He's definitely like like it makes you think and, and you know, you, you hate to always pull out the Richard Pryor mm-hmm. card. But you remember when Richard Pryor had that wonderful monologue about being in Africa? Yes. Yes. But uh, in the, you know, maybe 15 minutes that he talked about being in Africa, there were like seven minutes that weren't funny at all. Mm hmm. He just sort of talked about his humanity. He got real. Talked about, and, and it got real. That's what this is like. Okay. You know, he's just this master storyteller and this master social critic. Mm-hmm. And it's this wonderful, it's like this beautiful anger and rage that mm-hmm. comes out. So. All right. I can't wait to check it out. You definitely have to, yeah, definitely have to check it out. I look forward to it. Most definitely. 846 available on YouTube right now by yeah. Dave Chappelle. Um, if nothing else, it's it's something to see. So check it out, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. All right. It is time for us to get into our review. But before we do, we invite each and every one of you to like and follow us on all the social medias at The Me Show Mission. That's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Join the Facebook uh, group where we have a lot of fun talking back and forth to each and every one of our missionaries or fan. And if you want to really help the show, there's two ways you can help us go on the podcast catcher of your choice, especially if it's Apple podcast and leave us a ranking and a review. I don't want to tell you to leave us a five-star review. You move with your heart. All reviews are very appreciated. All we know they is are. That the, the more reviews that we get, then the more people are apt to find our show and that's all we can ask and then if you want to help support us and keep this show moving and trucking along please go to the michellemission.com hit swag and check out all of the cool things that we have available for you uh, courtesy of T Public we've got a lot of t-shirts and, and sweatshirts and mugs and whatnots that you can get for yourself and all of that goes a long way towards helping the Michelle Mission stay up and running and coming out on a weekly basis for you because we plan to watch every black film ever made and we're on episode 210 we've got a long way to go because they keep making them they They keep making them they do it's funny vince it's funny this brings up i was actually speaking to uh a dear friend of mine who has recently uh come come aboard as a missionary to to the show excellent Um, Unfortunately, they came on right at the time when we were in the midst of Mother May I Have Another One of These Bad Films. So they were of the mindset of, excuse me, do y'all review good black films? Because so far... I'm having a hard time because they're watching the films along while we're reviewing oh, them. Oh, no. I'm having oh, no. a hard time 
could this mission, like, yo, I'm about to give up this mission. Like, I'm done. I'm done. Y'all win. You know, <laughs> I am about to like give up the the white flag. Um, and then it's like when. And then they made it it's to like, the first. They, they made it just to the first week in June, Black Music Month. They're just like, okay, so it'll be Black music movies. So I can deal with that. And then the first one is Fame. You know, the, you know, say what you want about the film. I think we both landed on it's not a black film. So they're like, y'all don't even review good black <laughs> films. I'm like, what's going on here? I feel like I want my money back. <laughs> It's like when Trucky went to the farm with Pootie Tang and stayed there for 15 minutes. And he said, you got this. All this dirt. It's grass in my hair. Exactly, man. Right, so, um, right. so hopefully the last couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> right. And, and, and uh, we'll, you know, help. Keep a yes. fan. Help keep a fan. And there's a whole archive. There's a whole archive. That's true. But they, you know, I guess they're watching it in real time. And they just you know, want to, okay. All they, right. And finding it hard, man. I mean, hey. applause to them for watching the films as we go along. I know. Can, I that know. That can't be a daunting task, man. I was um, about to say, let us watch the films. <laughs> Maybe it's no reason. For, no reason for you to watch the new barbarians. Exactly. The new barbarians. I know exactly when you've had to sit through that. I'm like, uh, uh, we might owe you some swag. I know. <laughs> but hopefully, they had a better time with Sparkle. I don't well, know. Hopefully. We'll, we'll see in a see. moment. <laughs> we'll see in a moment, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> yeah. because it's time for our review of 2012's Sparkle. We'll be back with the film review soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. Make you want to dance, huh? Get it, mama. Mama, gonna get it. And you will, too. Keep dancing like that, you bring on some kids you can't feed. <laughs> That's Tammy Anderson. She's smoking hot. She got two sisters, and they can all sing. My name is Sticks. Sparkle. Hey, that's your song? You wrote that? Only if you thought it was good. Girl groups are hotter than ever right now. You should be together singing. My mom used to sing professionally. Maybe you be like your mama and never reach your goals. But don't fall short because you can't admit that you want it. We're coming up next to the stage. Just going out there and look pretty. But this isn't what we were. I know what I'm doing. Sister and her sisters. Where in the world did you get those church dresses? <laughs> get this man a drink. He's gonna need one. You were amazing. I have you booked all over the city. Wait, what y'all doing in there? My babies. I know y'all don't love each other that much. <laughs> I see your beauty, and I want to be your man. This is Satin Struthers. I'm looking for a new act to open up for my show. When you see a train that's going to get you to where you're trying to go... Wait a minute. Hey, hey, leave my, leave my. You got to jump on it. Wow. 
Was my life not enough of a cautionary tale for you? We are close to getting a record deal. Hell, if I had any sense, I'd be living off you. He did that to you, didn't he? Are you still going to be a part of the group? People are trying to destroy what we built. You and me, we started this thing. Why would the Lord give me this gift if I wasn't supposed to use it? It takes a lot of faith to do this, Marco. It makes me feel I've done something right. Don't lose it. Sparkle is a 2012 American musical film directed by Salim Akil and produced by Stage 6 Films. Uh, it is a remake of the 1976 film of the same name, which centered on three singing teenage sisters from Harlem who form a girl group in the late 50s. The remake takes place in Detroit, Michigan in 1968 during the Motown era and stars Jordan Sparks, Derek Luke, Mike Epps, CeeLo Green, Carmen Ijogo, Tika Sumter, Tamala Mann, Omari Hardwick, and in her final feature film role, Whitney Houston. Sparkle also features songs from the original film, which were written by soul musician legend Curtis Mayfield, as well as yes, new sir. composition by R&B artist and uh, Cancel King R. Kelly. And oh, no. <laughs> this film was Vince's selection for this stop in our celebration of Black Music Month. Vince, what say you of 2012's Sparkle? What say I of 2012 Sparkle? Well, I think this is a film that can be part of a conversation that you and I have had over the years, both on and off this show. And, and that is the necessity of remakes. Okay. Generally I'm against remakes, like, like just off, off the top, I'm against remakes, especially in the time that it's funny. We were just referencing having um, episodes in the archives that people mm -hmm. can get to. I think we are living in this moment where everything is so digitized and everything is so accessible that there's never a moment that a lot of this art is inaccessible. Right. So I say that to say when you and I, have, we, we've talked about, for instance, the Disney remakes that they've been doing the past few years. And, and you and I actually went and saw Aladdin last year at the preview. The, the, the 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 sort of the sort of sentiment that oh you have to remake this to introduce it to a new audience like that's always the kind of go-to catchphrase introducing this to a new audience right. but there like there is no new audience like people have seen Aladdin people have seen Lion King people have seen all of these films so that generally it comes across as a money grab and or it's just creatively deficit. Mm -hmm. 
in my mind. Okay. Just the whole concept of the remake, unless you're talking about something like, um, you know, my favorite example of remakes, the three versions of Richard Matheson's I Am Legend. Right. Where you have Vincent Price's Last Man on Earth, you have Charlton Heston's The Omega Man, you have Will Smith's I Am Legend. Right. Three films, same story. They do it different enough that all three of them are their own entities. Yes. And all three movies, I should say real quick, just to interject, are decidedly a couple of generations apart. That's the difference with them. They are a couple of generations apart. But again, back to my Aladdin and Lion King example, I don't know how many 14-year-olds or 12-year-olds went to see Aladdin who haven't seen the cartoon. Right. So even that argument in 2020 about generations apart doesn't hold that much water with me. Okay. So you start there with Sparkle. And I think this is a movie that had a lot of things working against it, had a couple of things working for it. The things working against it, again, it's a remake. Not only is it a remake, as you mentioned, this is a bit of a cult classic. Yes. When we talk about 70s black films. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, whether we're talking about... um Lynette McKee's performance as sister, mm-hmm. whether we're talking about the legitimately iconic image of the sisters doing, giving him something he can feel. Yes. There is this, this sense of, of history mm-hmm. that you have to overcome when you're making Sparkle. I think the other thing that this film had to deal with that's not its fault is that this is very much appropriately enough because we watched it last week, a film that is sitting in the shadow of dream girls. Yeah. Yeah. Dream girls is six years before this, but I do think the reach of dream girls very much makes you think about it mm-hmm. as you're watching this film. And then finally, I think it, the, the difficulty that this film had, and this was something that was evident from the moment that they announced the cast I think Whitney Houston pulls so much gravity towards her, Mm. not as a performer, not as an actress, not as a singer, but just Whitney Houston at this moment. Yeah. And there was so much attention to Whitney Houston in this movie. There was so much attention to what it meant. There was so much attention to, is this going to be the beginning of a comeback that, it was really difficult for all of that to, to get over those humps. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I, I think if you had to remake a 70s movie, this is a good one to make because for all of its cult status and and iconography, Sparkle is really, the, the original Sparkle, 1976, is... is is not really that dense of a film. Like, there's not right. a whole lot to sparkle. Right. Like, like frankly, without the Curtis Mayfield produced Aretha Franklin sung soundtrack, mm-hmm. I don't know how much we talk about Sparkle. Right. So, Sparkle, the film, I think is in a lot of ways a blank slate 
when you look at the script, when you look at the performances, when you look at the actual film. And I think that is a good place to start. Yes, yeah, you mentioned Salima Kill directed it, but Salima right. Kill is part of a team. His wife, Mara Brock Akil, wrote the script. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of the Akils as storytellers. You know, you talk about, you know, a lot of their work has been in television. Talk about girlfriends. You talk yeah. about right now they're working on Black um, Black Lightning. Right. Um, and a lot of what I love about them is in this film. And it works. I think this is a film that looks good, but the way it looks is kind of grounded in this palpable love that these storytellers have for black people in mm. black culture. Mm -hmm. Like there's there, this is such a lived in world, whether we're talking about the clubs, whether we're talking about the church scenes, mm -hmm. which frankly, that's, I, I actually wanted a movie about the church that Whitney Houston's character went to. Okay. And Michael Beach is the preacher. <laughs> yeah. You uh, know, almost you unrecognizable, almost unrecognizable. Almost unrecognizable. Um, I think back to the 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 kind of slight nature of the characters in the first film. Mm -hmm. I think they've deepened the characterizations in a way that, uh, for the most part, work really well. Sister is a much more complicated character in this film. She's a really nuanced. Carmeny Jogo is an actress that I've liked for a long time. Okay. I like her a lot, and I think she does well as sister, as this sort of, again, this hurt, nuanced, sexy, complicated older sister mm. who you understand how she gets into the situations that she gets into. Perhaps the biggest change between this and, and the first film is that the the, the main antagonist, sister's boyfriend, Satin, was changed from a gangster into a comedian played right. by Michael Epps. And I'll just say this. Th Michael Epps has never been better than he yeah. was in this film. Yeah. Michael Epps has never been better than he was in Sparkle. And with everything that I just said about the 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 publicity that this film got, like there was a lot of publicity around Whitney Houston. There was a, you know, this was supposed to be a star making turn for Jordan Park sparks. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, the real story is Michael Epps. Yeah, I agree. He is, he is phenomenal in this film yes. as this, again, this morally compromised self-loathing comedian. Yeah. At this moment. And mm -hmm. he he dominates and steals every scene he's in in this film. Absolutely every scene he is in, you cannot take your eyes off him. Tika Sumner is the third sister who barely exists in the first film. I think they smartly kind of beefed up her role. And she's good. She's good. And this is actually the film that made me notice Tika Sumner. I was joking before, you know, in, in the middle of break. She's drop dead gorgeous. Mm -hmm. 
Tika Sumner is actually drop dead gorgeous throughout this film. And she's funny and she's kind of, you know, spicy with her tongue. And you see her evolution as a character and she wants to go to school. And she's she's also really, really good. Um, Whitney Houston. I think it's really hard or at least it was difficult for me. It's really hard for me to separate Whitney Houston's performance from where Whitney Houston is at this moment in her life. It, it, yeah. it probably is worth noting Whitney Houston would die three months after the filming yeah. of this movie. And Whitney Houston does not look well. No. Whitney Houston does not look well. It, it was a sad moment in in my house. We my, I watched it with my daughter. And at one point, Camille said, who is that actress? And I said, baby, that's Whitney Houston. And she was like, you know, I thought she kind of looked like Whitney Houston, but I wasn't sure that was her. Mm. And, 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 you know, I, I think her voice is gone. She has one performance in the film where she sings her, you know, his eyes on the, sh- on the sparrow. And it's absolutely heartbreaking Yeah, because her, you know, her voice is a shadow yeah. of Whitney Houston's voice. But, Somehow that works for me because this is a tragic character. This mm. is a character who, you, you know, as the film outlines, has all of her dreams have been deferred. And, and she at one point actually says she is a cautionary tale for her daughters who are trying to pursue music. Mm. And, and I, don't, I don't know how much of it is, is me kind of projecting, thinking that, Mar Brock Akil's script integrated Whitney Houston's story into those words. Well, she certainly you know? sounds like she's adding, like doing some self-reflective commentary in her monologues in this movie. Most right. Certainly. So, yeah. so even if Whitney Houston's performance doesn't evoke the emotion that it should, based on the performance, I think Whitney Houston herself gets it across. And then there's, you know, Derek Luke's in it. And, you know, Derek Luke, and you know, I like Derek Luke in some things. I don't, Derek Luke do, didn't really make me write down any notes in this. But, but I, you know, I really think, I mean, you know, he, look, he wears a suit. He's the love interest. He does his thing. And then there's Jordan Sparks as the lead character. And, and I think, on the one hand, I can understand Jordan Sparks being in this film because, frankly, Irene Cara's acting was nothing to write home about. Irene Cara, who played Sparkle, and in the who original. played Sparkle in the first film, and that's actually part of the story. Sister is the performer. Sister right. is the entertainer. Sparkle is in the background, and it's only right. when Sister crashes and burns that Sparkle has to step forward. Right. But I think one thing that the first film does very smartly, frankly, is that it keeps Irene Cara from the foreground as long as it possibly can. Mm -hmm. I looked it up. The first film is an hour and 42 minutes. Right. I think Sister dies maybe an hour, 20, 25 minutes in. So you really do get like maybe 15 minutes of Irene Cara where we're supposed to believe that now she's going to carry this film. This film, 
And you and I talked about it, just, you know, a little, give people a little, a little a peek at how the sausage is made. I, like Lynn said, a little slick comment about the movie. And I, and I was watching it, but I hadn't got all the way through it. I was like, hey, I liked it. I, you know, I'm liking it. But there's a moment about an hour and a half in where within 30 seconds, Carmen Ijogo, Mike Epps, Tika Sumpner all taken off the stage. Yep. And they're no longer in the film. And now Jordan Sparks has to carry the film on her own. And it's just not there. Right. She can sing. She can sing. She can blow. Like there's a, you know, they give like it's like a 10-minute concert, basically. Mm-hmm. But it but but it, it's almost speaking of the shadow of Dream Girls. Jordan Sparks, much like Jennifer Hudson, is an alumna of of American Idol. Um, American Idol. And you got the sense that people hoped that they would get that type of magic from Jordan Sparks. Right. That Dream Girls got from Jennifer Hudson. And it's just not on the screen. It's just no. not there. So that ultimately... I don't know if this is a remake that justifies its own existence. Mm. But if it does, it barely does. Like, like it really is a case of, you know, which, which way is the wind blowing? How are you feeling when you watch this? Whether or not the good outweighs the bad and whether or not this is, a, this is an example of what I always talk about with these remakes. Could this talent have been better utilized in another project. Right, right. It's funny that you mentioned that this is um, definitely has Dream Girls in its rear window, right? Because Dream Girls, while not being a remake, it is a reimagining of a stage production for the screen. So it has to figure out, okay, how do, how do we take what is ostensibly a musical play and make this palatable as story-wise as a feature film. And for the most part, I think Dream Dream Girls succeeds. It maybe is a, a hair too long, but for the most part, it succeeds, right? With um, reimagining it for the film, while fleshing it out for the film without losing the energy of a stage performance. The difference with Sparkle, while both uh, properties, you know, um, are in the same, you know, kind of like, they're, they're kind of like telling the same story of a girl group, you know, the rise and fall of a girl group. The difference with Sparkle is the 1976 film, maybe by virtue of it being from 1976, or maybe it's by virtue of being influenced by all the other films of the 1970s, be they black films or even some of the more auteur films that were being made in Hollywood. The original Sparkle has a grit to it. There's a, a there's a, mm. a a a a feeling of like import to that story, um, which infuses it with a realistic groundness. That even though this is ostensibly a story about you know these these three women who 
take on a glamorous pursuit, they still feel very relatable, right? Um, and despite what you may say about Irene Cara's acting in that film, which is not, not anything to, to write home about, there is still something about her and her doe-eyedness that, that comes across as authentic in that film. That film does have Lynette McGee, who without with just stepping onto the scene is sultry and sexy and everything that you want sister to be. And it also has supporting it um, a very young Philip Michael Thomas and mm. someone who I sometimes give a little uh, flack to, but uh, I know someone who you love, Mary Alice, grounding that film as the as the the sister's um, mother in that film, right? Right. So, right. And, and and one of the things I remember is that iconic moment, like you said, of them singing, uh, giving him something he can feel of that of that particular number being shot very evocatively through the arms of the crowd. You are actually in the crowd seeing them on stage. You never really get a full feeling of them on stage. As opposed to this film, Sparkle, I think is definitely trying to be dream girls light as opposed Mm. to trying to carry over or do something with you know, its original property and trying to, uh, you know, take some of that energy and put it in a 2012 box. And I think that is the biggest reason why I found this film to be an absolute failure for me. Like, Mm -hmm. I did, like... I didn't like this movie from the dough. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you said it, Mike Epps, I don't, I've never thought much of Mike Epps as a comedian. Like, I've seen some of his stand-up, and I thought he was like, he's okay. He made me ha-ha. But I've never thought much about him. But this is not the first time that either one of us have been on this mission and have applauded something Mike Epps has done as an actor in a mm-hmm. film. And he, you are right. He, you cannot take your eyes off him in this film. He is so slippery and slick in this film. Um, it's so co- uh, morally corrupted, like you like you say, yet it comes off as authentic because he, he you feel that he believes in what he's doing. He believes that he is doing what he has to do. He's like, no, I'm not Coonan. I'm a Sambo, actually, if you really want to want to put it uh, on the nose. Wow. I, I mean, that was just such a power. And, and that was with no apologies at the dinner table, you know? Yeah. Um, he, he is fantastic in this film. And I honestly could have just watched the film with him and Carmen Jogo, just pop them out of this film and put them in a story. And I am there. I am I, I am there for for how many hours you want to sign me up because their their energy off of one another is just palatable and just pops off the screen. Um, 
the shame of this film is that this was not the the breakthrough that a lot of critics thought that this film would be for Carmine Jogo. That is how good yeah. she is in this film. She had a hard task to follow. Following in the footsteps of Lynette McGee's performance in Sparkle is no easy feat. And I'm not going to say that she 100, 100% kicks it out the park because I don't think she has the natural sultriness and sexiness that Lynette McGee has. But yeah. she's damn close i will i will give her that she was damn close and like you said her story is beefed up to the point where she does have a little bit more room to shine in this film and she takes advantage of that um so she's the, so the two of them that are to be championed from this film everything else in this film is an abject abject failure even your girl Tika Sumter, who I know is a quality actress, but I, I find her that, except in some moments, for the most part, acting down towards the to the performance. I don't think she is, mm. you know, I don't I don't feel the script does her any favors. I don't feel the script does any any of the actors any favors. That's why you've got to bring more to the table, such as Mike Epps and Carmen Jogo do. I don't think that Tika Sumter, in her defense, young in her career at this time, um, brings anything extra to the script, except only on a couple of times she does pop as the best actress in the room outside of those two who I, I previously mentioned. Right. Uh, and I feel the same thing is true about Derek Luke in this in this film who is a, is an actor who I find myself liking um but I I I was actually asking a question while I was watching this like why ha isn't he more of a success I think he has the looks right. he has the chops um but I guess maybe he's just picking the bad roles because he, he this film doesn't do him any favors either um Jordan Sparks is way out of her league way out of her league and I think that may be the reason as Deborah Battle uh, hit it right on the nose this movie has almost nothing to do with the lead character as she mentions and that that's true I think that is very true uh, I think that's the reason why they kind of like like keep pushing her you know um, her, her further in the back in this film yeah. and when they do turn it over to her she she just she can't she can't run with it she can't pick up the ball and run with it and 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 again that's not her fault she went on American Idol to be a singer she can sing she's not Jennifer right. Hudson but she can right. sing so I'm not not right. going to say that the woman cannot sing but she didn't go on American Idol to be an actress um, right and unfortunately that does show in this film See, this is not you know the coming out of for Jordan Sparks that I think that they they envisioned um and whitney houston like you said is just a tragic feature it's just a tragic figure in this film um i feel for her like every time she is listless in this film she yeah. uh she absolutely has no energy i mean you talk about her not having any voice even in her singing performance that she you know to her credit kind of powers through but you you yeah. just you're waiting for the crescendo that Whitney Houston just can't give you anymore um 
And but she doesn't even have a voice when she's speaking her role yeah. in her line yeah. readings. She is yeah. just really bad, man. And the script doesn't do her any favors. Again, it alludes to this previous career that she had uh, when she was trying to get out there as a singer. But it doesn't really give you any inkling of what her experience was with that. You don't even right. see any like you don't even see her or the daughters maybe just looking through old photo albums of their daughter just to give of their mother to, to get a glimpse of what she was. So it's all what the story, the script is telling you. It doesn't give you any true backstory for that. Therefore the, the, uh, the anger that she has in refusing to let uh sparkle follow her dream just comes off as like monstrous. It's like, like damn like i understand you had you know you saying that you had a bad experience well what was the experience you don't even you're not even telling her about what the experience is you know right um so like the the script doesn't do her any favors as well and and i also found that the direction was kind of bad in this film they moved the the setting of the movie from the 50s in the original to the to uh detroit in 1968 the time yeah. of Motown, specifically the time that Motown will soon be making its sojourn from Detroit to Los Angeles in the midst of the of the riots that are taking place in Detroit. All right. of this is alluded to by the film never seen. You never you never get a, I don't I at least me. One, I never truly got a sense that we are in 1960s Detroit. I felt that the the um, the set design, the costuming was all over the place. Um, you could have picked Jordan Sparks and Carmine Jogo out of this film, pick any scene and plop them into uh, 19 uh, a 1990s movie and you wouldn't have had to change their look one iota um i i just oh, that's interesting i just i i just felt that i never got a true sense of place that we were in detroit a true place a true sense of time that we were in truly in the 60s i just felt that there were just piecemeal you know old car here, old car there, you know, maybe this person has on an Afro, Derek Luke's got maybe a little bit more hair on his head. Okay. Right. You know, uh, satin Mike Epps characters got, got the, the, the process in his hair, but he wears it throughout the film. So there's no real, um, you know, passage of time scene with that character either. Um, I just really did not get that that sense of time with this film that that it hoped to uh, evoke. Um, and I just and the movie is two hours long. There's absolutely no reason for this movie to be two hours long. Oh, man. Well, that goes without saying it's it's too long. It, it's especially in a film that that basically we've all kind of come down to it's it's almost trying to hide sparkle yeah like like something that you realize speaking of changes that they made from the original sparkle is the songwriter in this mm-hmm. as opposed to in the first film where she's just the singer so even a lot of that potential dramatic exchanges between the songwriter and the singer are gone yeah 
and it's just um her by herself. I, I thought your I, I thought your observation about the sense of place. I guess well, first and foremost, ob- I don't know. I, I don't think Ruth Carter did the costuming in this film. <laughs> That's true. I almost got the sense that this was a, 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 an idealized version of the '60s. Mm. Like they weren't really going for, uh, you, you know, documentary footage, and I think we can disagree with that decision. But I think that was, you know, I very much got the sense again back to the depiction of the church, back to the depiction of the 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 the, the clubs, you know, even even if you look at the scene where they have the Bible study. Right. At their house. Right. It was almost, you know, for lack of of a more elegant way of saying it, almost like a black happy days. Yeah. Kind of approach to it. Yeah, you're right. So I agree with you, but I got the I don't know if that's necessarily what they were going for. Yeah, but the the script keeps making allusions to the riots in the streets. But you don't get any sense of that, dog. Right. But I don't know if that's this movie. Like sparkling. Then don't say it. Then don't say (laughs) it. You don't need to say it. You don't need the riots. You don't need the you don't need the the backdrop of the riots in your in your mind to tell this story. Well, I think they talk about the riots through the prism of the music that's being made. Exactly. And you gotta make different kinds of music. So, you know, you don't have to show the riots if, if you're just talking about it through the music. Well, but if you're talking about if you're talking about the music needs to change, then you need to show why the music needs to change. You just, just can't walk into the studio. Oh, y'all need to change. Why? You're not giving us any reason. Riots. You're not giving us any reason. So you don't think the assumption that the audience comes to it with even if it's just an idealized version mm-hmm. of the riots is a, is enough. Cause again, no. I don't think that's, I don't think that's what this movie is. No, I, I don't trying to be a snapshot of the sixties. I don't think it's trying to be a snapshot of the sixties either, but that you there's still, I mean, even if you only show the riots on the television, every time we go to the television, we're watching some faux, um, like, uh, 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 what was his name? Ed Sullivan show with somebody performing on it. So it's not because even like you're showing about like new- the music. It's about the music. Like, I think it's a lot of reasons to pick this movie apart, but like, you can't be mad at a lemon for not being a pineapple. <laughs> Wait a minute. I I don't think I don't think that's a I don't think that's what I'm saying here. That's not what I'm saying. You I'm can't s- be mad at an orange for not being a tangerine. Is that better? That, that's not what I'm saying, Vince. I'm I'm saying what I'm saying is that I didn't like the movie. That's what I'm saying. No, hey, and hey, I didn't like the movie. Hey, I think it was I, I think it was a, a, a failure, and I don't think and. Um, I, I can argue, you can argue whether or not, you know, speaking to your thing about remakes, whether or not Sparkle deserved to be remade, right? I think that Sparkle, which you can find, ladies and gentlemen, we actually reviewed on the Michelle Mission was episode 55. So it's very, very early on, uh, in the mission, but it's there in the archives. We reviewed the original. I think that Sparkle 
as much as I think we both came down on the side of liking the film, it's definitely yeah, oh yeah. definitely a film that is, you know, had its flaws and had places where where it could have gone that it didn't go so that you can argue that a remake is worth being explored. You can even argue that a remake is worth being explored if you pull it from its its 50 settings and drop it in someplace else. But if you're going to drop it into another time time period, then you need to show why you're dropping it into that time period, which means that you have to give the audience a uh, a true sense of what that time period is about. And I think that that is among many, a big failure of this film. Well, I don't have to pick apart that failure because I think there are other things in this film that that misfire and don't work. Uh, to, to that initial argument, I agree with you. I actually think that Sparkle could be remade. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, frankly, I think a lot of the argument for why it could be made, you could see in the the blueprint that they tried to utilize in this film right you kind of deepen the story you kind of expand some of the characters you 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 know you kind of nip you tuck it here and there Mm -hmm. i actually like the direction i think the script is is okay like i'm not really here to fight about the script but i really do think the biggest misfire in this film is Jordan Sparks. But again, as, as we've talked about, if, if the one misfire or the one challenge a film has is the foundation that the film is built on, right? The rest of it falls apart. And you know, what's sort of fascinating about this examining it is you almost get the sense that at some point in the process they realized that Jordan Sparks was the weakest part of the equation Mm -hmm. because there is this sort of shuffling around where we're doing all of these different aspects of the story. Right. Except for the lead character. Yeah. 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 And then when we just can't hold off anymore, the whole thing goes off the rails. Uh, I want to jump real quick to um, the soundtrack uh, for this. Now, they reimagine a few of the fil- a few of the songs from the original. Of course, most evocatively, giving him something he can feel, which was right. written by Curtis Mayfield, uh, right. sung by Aretha Franklin. Um, a good. I think that's a good scene. It's not a bad scene. I think that's I I think the introduction of sister kind of taking the crown of sister from Mm -hmm. Lynette McKee. I -hmm. thought that was a good scene. I thought that was a solid scene. I thought it was okay. I don't I mean, Mm -hmm. it it, you know, it was okay, Right. Um, And that's a song that was famously, like we said, made uh, sung by Aretha Franklin. Also was a huge hit for In Vogue as well. Um, Right. So uh, they had a lot of footsteps they had to follow in uh, with this film. Um, Here's another problem that I had with this movie. So we're led to believe that Sparkle, because she is now the songwriter, right? 
Right. So we're led to believe that she wrote a lot of the yes. songs that they are performing. So, all of the songs. All of the songs. So we're led to believe that she wrote uh, Yes I Do, which is Carmen Jogo, which I actually think she's even sexier on that song than she is on um, Giving Him Something He Can Feel. Mm-hmm. Um, she Jump. Jump. Hooked on Your Love. Something He Can Feel. You know, like I mentioned, all of these these songs, which were famously written and produced by Curtis Mayfield, right? Yes. So, if we are led to believe that Sparkle wrote these songs, then yes, she is a songwriter worthy to be praised. And it was no, it's a no-brainer that she would be signed to a record contract, right? Right. Yet, the song that gets her this contract is... One Wing, written (laughs) by R. Kelly, which even before I knew it was written by R. Kelly, I said, well, this is the most pablum-sounding song of this entire movie, and we're led to believe that this is the one that's going to get her over? This this is the one that gets her over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we serious? Never mind. We- Never mind. We're going to talk about uh, the interesting scene where Whitney Houston's character, who, as I mentioned, has been monstrous this entire film, right? Just yes. Monstrous and 100% against her daughter's Entering into this world of of music because it's nothing but the devil and it is against That's right. the Lord and everything. That's and right. Yet, the Lord don't like music. And yet, when she finally comes around in the last five minutes of this movie, when she finally has an awakening and comes around, she shows up at her daughter's performance with not only a new dress but a dress with a neckline that plunges down to her <laughs> belly button. Hey, man, in for, in for a penny, in for a pound. If you're going to be show business, you got to be show business. You got to give him something he can feel. That's a quote. <laughs> That's a quote that she gives. I was like, I was like whoa, mama, what easy. <laughs> Slow down. Yeah, yeah. Look, what you gonna do? Look, what you gonna do? I I think the music is, ironically, the most forgettable part of the film. I know. How do you take Curtis Mayfield? He gives you. He gives you the, the, you know, the whole the background. He gives you the base upon which because all of these these songs are reimagined. They're reproduced um, by, by different producers. Um, he gives you the background. How do you rework those those songs and you just totally defuse them of any soul? Look, I think, I think again, Carmen Ijogo is a great actress. And I think she works with this material and gets across mm-hmm. that sister is not here to sing. Right. Sister is here to be sexy. Sister is here to be sister. And the irony is that she is almost least sexy when she sings. Yes. 
Yes. Yes. As opposed to, like you said, Lynette McKee is just sultry. Mm-hmm. And it just comes off of her. So, you know, I, I you know, I think it's unfair to compare Carmen Ijogo's vocals to Aretha Friggin' Franklin. Oh, that's true. I'll give you that. But even compared to Lynette McKee's performance, it it's it's it pales in comparison. And likewise, Jordan Sparks, it's it's just no there there as far as charisma mm-hmm. and personality. And and say what you want about Irene Cara, Irene Cara has presence. Yes. So that when Irene Cara would sing, it 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 all comes out of her. Yes. So that so 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 like your critique of of Little Wing getting her signed. I, I mean, I didn't think it was any worse than the rest of them singing. Uh, well, true, but like I... like you know. I mean, obviously, it's not as good of a song as what Curtis Mayfield wrote, which addendum, you and I went back and forth uh, a couple of years ago. I said my favorite soundtrack from the 70s was the Claudine soundtrack. Yeah. I meant Sparkle. I got my Curtis Mayfield soundtracks mixed up. Okay. All right. Yeah, this is actually my favorite 70s soundtrack. And like, I almost wish, I almost wish, what's the film that we watched? It was like from the thirties and, and the actor, they, he, he did the, the Othello at the end of it. Oh, what was the name of that? There were, there was like a room in house and he was an actor. But what made me think of it is he performed in blackface, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we never see him performing in blackface. Yeah. You only see him we taking see it him, off. We see him going on stage and then we see him coming off stage. Right, right. And I almost wish they did that in this. Yeah, yeah. Like, I know you have to show sister being sister on stage, but I almost wish you could show them just coming off stage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because the musical performances added nothing. Yeah. So. So, Vince... Would you recommend that people watch 2012's Sparkle? My instinct is to say no. Like, I really want to just say definitively no. Mm -hmm. But as you've pointed out, whether we're talking about Michael Epps in The the Last Black Man in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. whether we're talking about Michael Epps Mike Epps in something that I enjoyed him very much, a fairly forgettable movie, a uh, jump the broom. Oh, wow. Whether we've talked about Mike Epps in a couple of things where like you, Mike Epps don't need to tell Nary another joke ever again for Vince. Cause like you, I never found him that funny. Right. Like in the Friday films, it was like, okay, all right. Yeah, fine. Sure. You know, keep this thing moving along. And I find his stand up utterly forgettable right but he is amazing in this he is he is amazing in this and i hate to just say you don't need to see this full stop and then you miss out on what i think is this actor's finest performance but Mm. unfortunately i don't know if that's enough to justify this film yeah me too. so it kind of hurts but I, i have to say no i don't recommend it Ah, uh, say it with your chest, man. Uh, <laughs> say it with your chest, Vince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say it with my chest. No, I don't recommend it. 
All right. There's, there you go. See how good that felt? See how good that it felt, does, Vince? It doesn't feel good. Oh, uh, it doesn't feel good. Watch this. No, don't watch <laughs> 2012 Sparkle. Done. There you go. All right. All right. Well, there you go. That's that's a double no from the men of Michelle. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, before we tell you what we're going to be watching next week as we round out and and tie it, put a bow on our celebration of Black Music Month, ladies and gentlemen, I invite you, as always, to like and follow us on all social medias at the Me Show Mission on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Join the Facebook group me show mission it's the same name um where we have a lot of funds talking with all of our missionaries dominique dominique chimed in that yeah i think i'm biased because i love the original and was not feeling the remake when i watched it i said oh you i might have enjoyed it more if it wasn't a remake no, that's, that's exactly that's, that's exactly right exactly um so so join us ladies and gentlemen um we, we really appreciate it. The Michelle Mission is available as a radio show every Saturday afternoon at 1 p.m. on WPPM 106.5 FM, Philly Cam, People Power Media here in the city of brotherly love. And you can listen to the Michelle Mission every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Wake up with the Michelle Mission on 91.7 FM, WKDU, the voice of Drexel University here in the city of philadelphia the michelle mission is a proud member of the podglomerate podcast network the podglomerate curated podcast for your listening pleasure and you can find us wherever you find podcasts on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher radio you google play if there are podcasts there the michelle mission is there as well and please subscribe to our youtube channel because we are going to be soon, very soon, do, doing some different videos and things out there for YouTube as well. Um, appreciate all of you are taking the time. We've gotten a lot more subscribers over the past few weeks, and we appreciate each and every one of you who are following Absolutely. our show. Thank really you. Do. Thank you. Really do. All right, Vince. Uh, all right. We're about to shut this baby, baby down. Black Music That's Month. That's right. Going to close the curtain. We're going putting a uh, closing the curtain, tying a putting a bow on it. And this film that we're going to be reviewing next week, ladies and gentlemen, it's a film that not only did I select, but Vince selected. Actually, when we knew we were going to do be doing Black Music Month, this is a movie that we both realized had to be the capper for the for the month, and we worked backwards from there. And that is the film from, oh, wow, I just had the year. It's from the 90s, if I remember, Vince. Is that correct? Could yeah. this actually have been in the 90s? I don't believe yeah, that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It I absolutely could. I don't believe that, but you're absolutely right, Vince. It's from 1992. We are going to be watching Kevin Costner and at the height of her powers. Oh my god. Whitney Houston. Uh, just just a force of nature in the bodyguard. The bodyguard next week. Uh, is this her first film? This is her first film. Is this before Wait Next Hell? Yes, it is. Yeah, I'm about to say I think this is her film debut. 
it's wait a minute, Vince. This can't be. Is this Whitney Houston? This is her acting debut, Vince. I believe right. So we right. So we just had the last one, and now we'll go back to the first one. And, yeah, and waiting to exhale is ninety five. That's right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So, the Bodyguard, ladies and gentlemen, a groundbreaking film in more ways than one. Speaking, talking about soundtracks. Next yeah. week here on the Me Show Mission. Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>